Well, happy Thanksgiving, everyone, and welcome to another edition Behind the Bench with Craig Berube. I'm John Kelly. Tonight's show is brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Boardwalk has great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. Visit a showroom in Crestwood, Manchester, or St. Peter's, or online at boardwalkhardwood.com. Of course, the Blues are in Dallas tonight, coming up in a few hours as they meet the Stars for the second time this season. The Blues right now sitting in first place in the West with 36 points. Dallas is red hot. They lost for the first time in 12 games the other night, so they have climbed within four points of the St. Louis Blues, and this is a big game. But first of all, Coach, uh, happy Thanksgiving. How did you and your team spend the holiday yesterday? Yeah, happy Thanksgiving to you, too. Uh, We just kind of, we had a little practice here, and um, we flew in from Tampa the night before so went on the ice for a little bit and uh, I think uh, you know guys just some of them went to the football game and just have dinner and stuff nothing much. Meanwhile it's a big game as I said Dallas four points behind the St. Louis Blues and of course a club that you met last year in the playoffs and met them in the second game of the season Um, obviously you're expecting a tough game tonight. Oh definitely it's like it's going to be a playoff game tonight it really is Um, you know they they've been on a real good roll they got beat the other night by Chicago but they're playing extremely well right now um, and so we're you know we're we're going to get their best here tonight coach in the last week the blues with a victory a shootout loss and a regulation loss of course a home and home against the Nashville Predators uh, your thoughts on the past week yeah um, I did not like um, you know our first periods um in the game home against Nashville, you know, we didn't come out like we should have in that game. But, uh, I, you know, we thought we got better as it went along. We ended up getting a point in overtime. Um, I mean, a point um, in the game. But, uh, uh, you know, just okay against Nashville. Um, urgency wasn't great. Um, I thought that uh, the second uh, Nashville game, our third period, was really good. thought we went out and... Um, you know, played well, tied it up. You know, that was, sorry, that was the point we got at, in Nashville. At home, not very good. In Tampa Bay, I thought we played a real good game. Strong start to finish. But both teams played well. Uh, back and forth hockey, but competitive hockey. And, you know, um, more more like us. Coach, you mentioned the tough starts against Nashville in the home-and-home. Another number that I'm sure you'd like to see come down would be the shots against. As you know, the Blues are allowing almost 40 shots a night on average in the last four. Number one, is it concerning? And number two, what do you do about it? Yeah, it is concerning. Um, we're just we're, we're letting people shoot <laughs> instead of closing them out. It's a lot of outside stuff, but um, it's concerning because we don't play like that, and you know we need to tighten it up a lot more than we are and we need to take away even the outside shots we don't need them shots being taken um so it's just about it's more about us um you know just urgency in our game coach uh, obviously in the last game the blues a big victory in tampa but a big loss losing oscar sunquist who had picked up a couple of goals uh, what's the prognosis for oscar at this point well it's a, yeah it's it's up in the air still till we get an mri on him and we'll get that done probably tomorrow when we're back home um, but it's going to be a few weeks for sure that's what i think but uh, we'll see how the mri looks 
obviously he's uh, one of those guys that does a lot. Uh, regular shifts, uh, PK, had a couple of big goals. Uh, how do you overcome his loss? Well, you, you don't. I mean, like, it's all like the other losses. You just you got guys that you're going to put in there. Um, you know, guys from the minors that are coming up. We signed Brower. So these guys are going to have to pick it up. And that's all. They're going to have to come in and step in and, and play their game and uh, do, do the best they can. Uh, we need guys that, you know, we have good depth down there in the minors, guys that uh, will be using that will be come up and down. And, you know, that's the only way you can do it. In addition to, to Oscar, the Blues, of course, have lost Blaze, Steen, and, and uh, Tarasenko. Doesn't it always seem, Coach, uh, n- not every year you have a lot of injuries, but sometimes they, they come in bunches to the same position. It's, it's sort of crazy. Yeah, it is. Um, it's, it, they're tough losses for sure. I mean, especially, uh, obviously, up front. Um, you know, four real good players out of your lineup. That's the best way I can put it. You know, you got your best scorer. You got veteran guys, uh, young guys that, you know, that provide energy and veteran guy out like Steen that provides leadership and uh, defensive role play and penalty killing. So it's tough. I mean, we're, we're, we're uh, shorthanded for sure. But, you know, we got to, like I said, you got guys that are coming and hopefully do the job. Coach, uh, with the loss of Sundquist, the Blues have made a couple of roster moves. Actually, they made a few the other day, recalling Nathan Walker and defenseman Derek Pouliot, and yesterday uh, recalling Austin Paganski, a fourth rounder who had a really good camp. So, first of all, as far as Walker, um, a kid that you guys signed as a free agent, a good chance he could play tonight? Yeah, he'll be in tonight for sure. Uh, put him on the right side with Della Rose and McEachern. He's, he's an energy guy. He's a good player in the minors. He can score down there. He can provide some offense up here, but he's more of an energy guy. Uh, real good skill Skater is going to get on top of people, and, and that's what we expect out of him. And Pouliot has been recalled. He's a defense, but I know that Gunnarsson did not skate yesterday. Um, is there a chance that Pouliot could come in tonight? Yeah, there is. We'll see how Gunny's doing today. He's not feeling very well, so we'll see how he is. And, uh, and if he can't go, then Pouliot will go in, who has experience in the NHL. And as far as Pagansky is concerned, again, he has not played in the NHL, um, but going back to September, um, he had a really good camp, put up some good numbers. What did you like about his camp? Yeah, he did. He had a great camp. I thought that he worked extremely hard, skated, got on top of people. You know, he's he's like a you know a fourth line energy guy, but a little more size than Walker. But you know, good penalty killer, and uh, he's a four check guy. He gets in there and, and disrupts the other team and, and grinds it out. Goes to that and just does stuff like that. Craig Bruby, another sort of relatively new face. Of course, he played here in 15-16 as Troy Brower. Has now played a few games with the Blues, and he'll play on the third line tonight. Uh, what have your thoughts been on Brower's game so far? Yeah, he's doing fine. He's still finding his way. It's just about getting up to the speed of things, and the timing is a big thing. You, know, you can practice all you want, but you know it's the games, and it's the grinding in the games, and the timing that uh, takes a little time. But I thought he was okay. I think he, I thought he improved against Tampa, so hopefully he even plays better tonight. Craig Berube, we mentioned the Blues' loss at home Saturday to Nashville. The, the one positive was the play of Clem Costin. He got his first NHL goal. I know he's been sent down and uh, subsequently got hurt down in the minors, but um, what were your thoughts on Costin's play in his first few games? Yeah, I thought he was fine. I thought I was happy to see him get a goal. It's a big thing for a rookie and uh, your first goal in the NHL is a big thing. Um, Clem 
Adams, a big guy, um, you know, he needs to, uh, you know, just do things quicker. It's NHL, it's fast. You, you know, you don't have a lot of time to think about things. You got to just react and play on, on instincts a lot. And um, that's just a learning thing. It takes time. Coach, another tough break in that game was the uh, cross-check by Bertuzzo on Victor Arvidsson. I say it's a tough break because he got suspended for four games. Um, I know that you played a tough game as a player, and as a coach, you want your guys to be tough. But I guess there's a fine line where you get to the line but not over the line. Yeah, definitely. You know, and Borch knows that. I mean, it was a tough play. Like, he, you know, you cross-check somebody like that, and, and um, their player ends up getting hurt, you're probably going to get suspended, so... Meanwhile, the Blues, of course, after the Saturday game, went to Nashville to start this three-game road trip. Coach, you got a point. Um, again, after a tough start, did you like the last two periods in Nashville? Yeah, I did. I mean, I, I thought that, uh, again, we didn't um, have the urgency in the first period. They had more jump, but I thought we recovered well. Um, really good third period, though. Other than, I think they had two power plays, they had, they had some opportunities there, but I thought that five-on-five five we carried to play. I think we only gave about five even strength shots in the third period, so that was really good. And you also got some great goaltending from Jake Allen on Monday, stopping 36 of 38. And coach, his record on the road, as you know, is superb at 4-0-1. Is it a case where he just feels a little bit more comfortable on the road at this point? Well, that's what it seems like, but, you know, we don't know for sure. And, you know, if you went and asked him, he would say, no, I feel comfortable at home too. But in reality, he's played really well on the road, and um, there is a difference home and road right now and he's done a real good job for us on the road we we're, and we're going to continue to need him to uh you know go out and give us a chance to win and the blues of course went to the shootout after getting the game tie goal in the third period coach as far as uh the shootouts concerned if people don't know um how do you go about selecting the players for the shootout and do you practice that a lot on off days uh we practice it at times we don't practice it a ton um you know that's kind of done with I think in the league that used to practice it a lot but not anymore and we just go by percentages a lot of times um, there's certain guys that have a high percentage shootout uh, rate in the league um, so that's part of it and the other part is like if somebody scored a goal or they're feeling it that night then we'll use them too. So you sort of go by feel in the game? A little bit by feel but a lot of it's uh, the percentages and how good guys are at it. Craig Brewer you mentioned the uh, Tampa Bay game a bit earlier in our show um, you guys win it 4-3 uh, was this as exciting as a coach as it was for maybe the fans and the broadcasters? No oh, it's definitely always a good game against them I think the last four games and the last two years against Tampa are real good hockey games, tight, uh, back and forth hockey, competitive hockey. That's a competitive team, Tampa. Um, you know, I don't think people understand how physical that team is. They're physical and they're, they're, they play hard with skill. You know, they got a lot of skill, but their players play hard. And that's a physical game. Um, you know, and it, you know, like I said, they're exciting hockey games. You mentioned physicality. How about Ivan Barbashev's game the other night? As you know, he had three assists, four hits, was plus three, and won six of seven face-offs. That's a pretty good night for, for any player. Well, definitely. he's Yeah, that's a great night for him. He's been a he's been a hard player for us all year. You know, we get the same guy every night, heavy guy, physical player. Um, and, you know, they're providing offense, those guys, for us, which is great because we need it, especially with the injuries 
penalties and things like that. So we need guys like Barbashev and McEachern and these guys to put goals in once in a while and make some plays. And that's a, it was a hell of a night for Barbie. Coach, what does it tell you about a player like Jordan Bennington, who now in two years has won two one-goal games in Tampa Bay against one of the best offenses in the league? What does that tell you about him? Well, he's a he's a big game player. He is. The bigger the game, the better he plays. It seems like he thrives on that stuff, and uh, you know it's a challenge for him. But he he enjoys them challenges. So it's uh, really encouraging for our hockey team to know that this guy's can go into big games and and win them for you. And coach, finally tonight's game against the Dallas Stars without Sunquist and the other injured players. Does the game plan change at all against this club, who's who, as we said, has been very hot of late? No. Not really. I don't think so. We we know that uh, this is going to be a highly competitive game tonight. Uh, it's going to be like a playoff game, in my opinion. I'd be surprised if it's not. I, you know, they're they're a very good team, and you know. Going back to last year in the playoffs, that's still lingering, I think, with them and us. Obviously, it was a great series. So I expect a heavy game here tonight. we got to be really smart with the puck here tonight. It's so important to uh, not turn pucks over uh, against this team, not fuel their attack. Um, and we got to do a good job with that Klingberg and Heisken. And them guys are high-end defensemen that can really skate up the ice. So we got to make sure that we're – slowing them down, bumping them a lot, uh, making it a hard game, frustrating that team tonight. That'll be a big big key. And back home tomorrow night against Pittsburgh, have you decided on your goalie rotation for the weekend? Yeah, I'm going to go with Jake Allen here in Dallas tonight and then uh, Bennington tomorrow against Pittsburgh. Good luck this weekend. Thank you very much, J.K. All right, that's the head coach Craig Bruby coming up next on Behind the Bench. We'll talk to former Blue Terry Crisp, who now is a broadcaster with the Nashville Predators. That and much more coming up next on 101 ESPN. And welcome back on Behind the Bench. I'm John Kelly here on 101 ESPN and a chance to catch up with an original Blue, Terry Crisp. Spent five years as a St. Louis Blues. The first five years the Blues were in existence. Of course, went on to coach for 10 years in the NHL, including coaching the Stanley Cup champion Calgary Flames back in 1989. And now he's been a broadcaster in Nashville, Tennessee for the Preds since their inaugural season back in 98-99. That's a lot of hockey games, Crispy. Don't bring it up. Hey, come on. I'm still here. You know what you said? You asked me, you said, how are you surviving, Crispy? And I said, JFK, and you forgot the F when, you're, when you said John Francis Kennedy. I don't let the old man in. I still feel young. That's a, that's a great attitude to have. Um, tell me about the first couple of years in St. Louis. What made that group so special? Uh, that allowed you to go to the final three straight years and almost win a cup. You know what? It was sort of a combination of uh, Scotty Bowman coming in when he did, was starting out. And when they built the team, they built it with veterans and young guys. And it was whoever, like uh, the GMs and whatnot that did it, we look around and why were we successful? Because we had a mixture. But we had, back then, um, the, the Solomons owned the team, the first owners beautiful people. They made it a team. They made it a family. They made it nice for you, your wife, your kids, for everybody. And then the the, the fans, the St. Louis Blues fans back then, they just accepted us full bore, all in. And you know what? I still laugh back in our original days back there. Uh, Your mom and dad were all part of it and you were just too little to remember. But they used to come to the games in furs and diamonds and jewels and they had a a five-star restaurant. It was like not a typical hockey arena, believe me, that you see right now. But you know what? it all boiled down to fun, fun and respect. 
Absolutely. And as a matter of fact, we just passed the anniversary of Scotty Bowman replacing Lynn Patrick as the coach in the first year. And the club in the first year, if fans don't remember, did not have a great start. Uh, so Scotty comes in. Did it click immediately or did it take a while to get your club going that year? And of course, you went on to the final that year. You know, it, it almost not immediately clicked, but you realize when Scotty stepped into the room and behind the bench and started taking our practices that we were heading in a direction that was good for all of us. It, it took the veterans and the youngsters. He worked them together. And I got to admit, Scotty Bowman, I mean, his career, his record speaks for itself, but one of the best coaches I've I've had the fortune of ever playing with. I had spent five years with Scotty Bowman. Then I spent another five years with Fred Shiro. To me, two of the top coaches ever in the NHL. And what better background coaching could you get than that? But Scotty was 28 hours a day. I know there's only 24 hours in a day, but this is a phrase. And he lived and breathed hockey. And he seemed to have the knack for when to tick you off, when to patch you, when to bench you, when to play you. And you accepted it all and went along. But when you look back over the uh, the veterans we had, Glenn Hall, uh, Dickie Moore, Jacques Plant, Jean-Guy Talbot, Jimmy Roberts, all these veterans with the young kids coming in, it worked perfectly. Terry Crisp, you mentioned the Flyers, and of course, after leaving the Blues, you went on to play for the Broad Street Bullies. You won back-to-back Cups in 74 and 75, and legend has it that the Flyers became a tough team because the Blues beat the heck out of them in the first three years. Is that fair? That's fair. That's honest. <clears throat> Excuse me. And you have, have you ever talked to Mr. Ed Snyder, the original owner of the uh, Broad Street Bull- <laughs> Philadelphia Flyers, and he said, the Blues were the ones that initiated. He said that he said after the one series, he said, "I will never ever have a team that this happens to again." So yes, you know what? The Blues. That's the funniest thing, though. You don't hear anything. The Broad Street Bully phrase still lives on, but the St. Louis Blues at that given time were just as tough or tougher than the Broad Street Bullies were by that. And you know what? Other team was just as tough and tougher. But you don't hear about it. The Boston Bruins, if you recall, and your dad recall the battles that the Blues and the Bruins. Had had together. Believe me, we had them. Again, we're talking with Terry Crisp, uh, an original blue, former coach in the NHL, and of course now a broadcaster with the Nashville Predators since their first year in 98-99. Crispy, you coached 10 years in the NHL, seven with Tampa Bay, an expansion club starting in 92, and of course three with the Calgary Flames. Looking back, did you enjoy your time as a coach or was it was it stressful? Because, you know, you talk about coaches getting ulcers and how hard it is, but did you <laughs> did you enjoy yourself? I did. I love you. You know what? Uh, you, you can, you can uh, attest to this, that I enjoyed myself as a player and as a coach, and I look back on a couple things. First, I love the game. Secondly, and, and listen to this very carefully, you people out there, I found a good lady, married her, and kept her and stayed with her, Sheila. And that made it all my uh, trips and years that we went together. But coaching is fun. Coaching is when you get up in the morning, you, you not only have the, your own kids, but you've got 23 other kids to look after and take care of. And you see all sides of, of, of uh, personalities, put it that way, when you walk into a dressing room. And you learn as you go along that, you know what, we're all not created equal. 
get this, and we're not all will be treated equal. And that's the first thing you learn as a coach, and you're going to have to make some hard decisions that hurt. And to me, that was the toughest part of being a coach is when you had to make those. It's always fun when you're winning. It's always fun when you're giving guys ice time. It's not fun when you're cutting them. And it's not fun when you're benching them. That is not fun, but you learn as it goes. And like I said, yeah, I wouldn't give back one day of my hockey career. One guy you probably never benched in Calgary was the Hall of Famer Al McKinnis, who of course works for the Blues, <laughs> and he was the Conn Smythe Trophy winner in 89. How great was Al in that playoff? Uh, Al McGinnis, I always look back to the kids now and today in the shot. Al McGinnis had, he was a forerunner of all these guys who can fire the puck. But every guy can fire now because he got these new sticks. And you and I could even shoot the puck. Well, maybe not me, but you could, 100 miles an hour. Al McGinnis, I think, was one of the last ones to use a wooden stick and fired. But I always say this, if you watch Al McGinnis's game, he wasn't just a cannon guy who could shoot the cannons. He was smart. He had, like, on the point when I had him, he could wind up, fake, and wrist it through traffic on net. Or wind up, fake, throw it across to Joey Mullen on the side of the net and make it happen. Or he was smart. He used to use the uh, Rob Ramage play, one of the first ones to start him and Ramage. He'd wind up for a blast coming out the net. Everybody's on their tippy toes hoping it don't hit them. He'd purposely miss everybody and put it off the backboard so it'd come back out onto the front of the net and do it. So that was Al McGinnis. He wasn't just a one-trick pony out there. No, he was a heck of a defenseman. Crispy, uh, finally, you've been here, as we said, since the start in 98. This has become a, uh, I know the team last year finished first, but overall, it's been it's become a really good hockey team and a really good hockey town. Uh, JF, I'm telling you right now, this is, when we first came here, Pete Weber and I together, we'd do hockey one-on-ones. There'd be 12 people at the hockey one-on-one, <laughs> and eight of them were ladies. They were our best fans at the time, and over the years, we've seen it grow. We, I think we came here, they had uh, I want to say eight high school teams. They now have like 15 or 18. We now, we had Two ice surfaces is all we had, the Bridgestone and Centennial. Now we have two brand new buildings, this one, Centennial. And um, it's just gone on leaps and bounds. But the thing that we like is that we were up against, and you know this, SEC country, football, and NASCAR, and baseball to, to some extent also. And our thing was to convince people, and we knew one thing, and this is great, you guys, if you could get the ladies interested in their sport, that's what you got them hooked, because then they'll bring, the women bring their husbands and their boyfriends to the games. Not in the same night. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. That wouldn't be a good thing. Finally, Crispy, um, an original blue. Did you? I know you're a division rival of the Blues here in Nashville, but did you take a small sense of pride in watching the Blues win the Cup last year? Small? I was like Bobby Plager and myself and Gary Sabrin were commu commuting. To me, I was happy because of the history of the Blues. I'm an original Blue, proud as punch to say that and do it. And the fans there that have been through it and come through it, and they never won it. So that's a great, <coughs> great feeling for them. And yes, I was happy to see it work out for them, and congratulations again to them. The great Terry Crisp, an original blue, longtime NHL coach, now a broadcaster here in Nashville. Crispy, thanks for stopping by. Always fun to chat with you. Anytime, buddy. You know that. All right, that's Terry Crisp. Much more on Behind the Bench coming up next on 101 ESPN. Legendary Hall of Fame coach Scotty Bowman, of course, nine cups as a coach, over 1,200 wins. And, Scotty, you just came out with a book actually written by Ken Dryden, your former goaltender in Montreal. It's called Scotty, A Hockey Life like no other. So I guess the first question is why after all these years did you finally decide to do a book? Well, I always thought, John, if you were going to do a book your life kind of stopped, but Ken phoned me about three years ago and said, you know, you, you've seen hockey since the late 40s. 
you got to put it down in writing. And Suella was always my wife, always saying, you know, you got a good memory, but you know, you got to put it down in print. So he, he convinced me that we could do it on our own schedule. And and we, I used to I come down here in October, and he would phone me twice a week. We'd work on a, on just interviews, and then he would send me the transcripts and say, is this what you said and is this what you meant? And then he, he of course, he's done books before. So I felt I felt comfortable because we knew each other too. Scotty, I've read half the book. It's excellent and great detail. I mean, did you write things down over the course of your career, or do you, you just have a photographic memory? No, I, I, we kept, uh, we, we are collectors. We kept a lot of, a lot of paperwork and a lot of programs and yearbooks. But no, I, I always tried to. I, I think it came from the days when I, when I got injured and I didn't play. I went to work for a paint company in Montreal, Sherwin Williams, and at that time. Uh, I was in uh, as a stock records, and I had to memorize a lot of different codes for three different uh, three different kinds of. They had three companies, so I think I developed my memory, but uh, most of it was from my memory. And of course, it was almost uh, 52 years ago to the day. It was uh, a few weeks ago in November in '67 when Lynn Patrick came to you and said, "I will no longer coach the team," and he wanted you to coach. Do you remember the the night it happened? the day it happened? I do remember. We were having a tough time getting, we, we were getting better, but we weren't winning, and we were sort of falling a little bit behind, although, as you know, John, that first year, only six points separated the first and the 15th, but we, uh, yeah, I, I, I knew I was going to coach the second year, so it wasn't, I mean, I was a little bit nervous going in. I, I didn't know our players in Kansas City, though, and he said, look, whatever you want to do, because we, we had some players that I thought could come up and help us, and I think we had fellows that were down there like Terry Crisp and guys like that. We made some changes but the big the big trade that year which lasted a long time for them, getting Red Berenson and the late Barkley Plager. We, we traded our leading scorer but Ron Stewart was about in the mid-30s at the time. Rangers wanted a good checker that could play because they were a good team at those years. They wanted somebody that might be able to keep up with Bobby Hull and so we it was uh, the timing was perfect. I had known Red from minor hockey days with Hull Ottawa. He, he had the misfortune of coming up to Montreal at the wrong time with so many strong centers and Red played for the Rangers a little bit. He'd broken his leg the year before so we got really lucky. We got Red Berenson. I, I always thought that Red for the first three or four years in, the, in that West Division there was not a better forward that could play both ways and of course everybody knows Barkley Plager. He was about mid-twenties when we got him. Got him out of the American League and he was, I think Barkley would have told you, even if he could, Al Arbor meant so much to, uh, to Barkley. And that solidified our defense and forwards. Scotty Bowman, Bobby Plager told me last spring, you sent him a note after game two of the Blues series against Winnipeg, basically saying after the Blues won the second game to go up 2-0, that the Blues drought of going to the final might end. How did you know that? <laughs> I was trying to kid him like I always did. I was, I was saying to him, Bob, you know, you're not going to be parading around St. Louis anymore as the only person that's ever been in the final. So I did it as a joke. And in fact, 
when I got a text a few months ago, about a month ago, about the new arena, and you know, and I and they said, well, Bob's gonna down skates with his grandson and go for a skate. So I I texted him again. I said, I hope you don't fall over the blue lines like you used to. <laughs> but I, I, Bob was a you know he was an important part of our team, and I'm I'm, I'm got to say that like finally after 50 years, it must have been such a great thrill for Bob. He's one of the many that stayed there, but he was an original blue. Scotty, you've seen a lot in your days. Did you ever think you'd seen a team go from last place on January 2nd to win a cup? Not with the parity in the league, and uh, that's so unusual. You know, uh, uh, once again, a change seemed to make the difference, and uh, I was I was like most of the ex-blues. I, once, uh, once we didn't make the playoffs in Chicago, I was I was, I was texting a little bit with Glenn Hall. I know how interested he was, but I think when you look at it, the, just the, the way that the thing trans, transpired, and of course I knew Larry Robinson from my days with him in Montreal, and uh, I just I was amazed the turnaround that the team showed. New goaltender, it seemed to be a fresh face for the team, and uh, you're right, it's uh, a story that will be hard to duplicate. No question about it. Scotty, I've enjoyed the book. Again, it's Scotty, a hockey life like no other. It's always great to chat with you. Thank you very much. Good luck, John. Thanks. That's Scotty Bowman. Much more right after this here on 101 ESPN. And welcome back to our final segment here on Behind the Bench. I'm John Kelly. Of course, tonight's show is brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Boardwalk has great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. Visit a showroom in Crestwood, Manchester, or St. Peter's or online at boardwalkhardwood.com. Joined in this segment by my partner on TV, Darren Pang. Happy Thanksgiving, partner. How was your day yesterday? Yeah, it was it was great. Uh, I know it's uh, it's never ideal when we're on the road as much as we're on the road, and especially at a family holiday like Thanksgiving. It always, uh, you know, it, we're lucky to do what we're doing, but at the same time, it's uh, it's, it's awfully uh, disappointing that we're not there with our family. But I had a great day. Uh, went out uh, outside a St. Louis native. Went out and had a little dinner with uh, Chris Kerber and I. He cooked up the big bird, and he uh, fed us some wine, a little cigar. <laughs> and it was a good night. Sounds like a great night. <laughs> what is your go-to uh, food or beverage, I should say, on, on Thanksgiving? Well, go-to food, I always actually liked it when I was home and my wife would actually feed me. I like the Yorkshire pudding and the gravy. Love Yorkshire pudding. A lot of Americans don't have Yorkshire pudding and gravy, but I, I think it's an ideal supplement to a great meal. I like the dark meat on the turkey, big time. I do like lots of gravy on it. And uh, I'm trying to cut down on the potatoes and the carbs, so I'm trying to do my best there. I certainly like to start off with a nice, nice glass of champagne, maybe move on to a nice Pinot Noir, and then for the ideal move, something big, a big, bold Bordeaux, or maybe something on the Italian side, or maybe a big California Cabernet, and maybe a Cab Franc, and maybe with a little splash of Syrah in there. Um, so, and then for dessert, I don't mind having a nice little bourbon at the very end, and a cigar. Sounds like a heck of a meal. I'm filled up and full thinking about what I ate last night. <laughs> <laughs> hey, by the way, congratulations. Uh, you and Lynn oh, yeah. became grandparents. A couple of weeks ago, your lovely daughter, Sammy, and son-in-law, Luke, 
um, they had a baby girl. And how is she doing? Little Charlie had her first Thanksgiving with the family and uh, fantastic little girl, uh, Charlotte Elizabeth, and uh, healthy, beautiful, great eyes, uh, doesn't have my big ears, which is phenomenal. It's the first thing I looked for was making sure her ears weren't as big as mine. Uh, so beautiful little girl. And uh, yeah, I, I tell you what, uh, gr Grandpa and gram Grandma Lynn, I think that's what we kind of call it. We called our grandparents Grandma and Grandpa. I know there's a lot of questions as to what people think you might be called. And I think it just comes naturally depending on how maybe the baby says it at one point. But uh, anyway, I like Grandpa is my, my thing. So Grandma Lynn's been there with them and uh, having a great old time. You know, my wife Jennifer, and I know you know Jennifer very well, but she said you will be a great grandfather because you are like a little kid. <laughs> yeah, Jennifer's right. Um, my maturity level is off the charts, um, definitely. Um, and I think being a, I think, I think maybe being a, uh, a, a, a bald and smaller person, I think helps little babies. I, I think they feel an attachment. <laughs> I, no question about that. I'm certainly not intimidated. I grab them, put them in the old arms, and just rock them like that. And uh, it's, I, I mean, I, I, I just can't wait to, to, to further this on. I talked to my son Tyler yesterday, and I said, anytime you guys want to go ahead, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for more than just one here. <laughs> that sounds great. All right, Chris Kerber has joined us as well here on the Broadcasters Roundtable. Panger just went through his entire um, menu that he likes on Thanksgiving, and he, he did the appetizer, the main course, um, the dessert, the, the cocktail of choice. So what about you, Chris? What, what is your go-to meal on Thanksgiving? Uh, I will start with a pumpkin pie. I will finish with a pumpkin pie. I will put pumpkin pie in between every other bite if I had the chance. So I, I think that's the first and foremost for me. I'm not I, I'm not a real big bird guy. I don't know that I really like chicken or turkey, but like, you know, they cooked that, uh, Todd cooked that turkey yesterday on a big green egg and wow, was it really good. So um, I, I'll go a little bit of turkey. I gotta have a good gravy for the stuffing though. That, that for me is, is the meal. So a good gravy and uh, pretty much after that, I'll eat anything except a beet. Don't no, no beets. I don't think beet is really a Thanksgiving vegetable anyway. But if somebody wanted to get brave and put beets in, don't put beets in. No beets. I'm with you. All right, enough of the turkey talk. I like beets. Oh, you like beets? Beets are healthy for you. It's good for you. No. I just don't like when they run off and, and like I just like them nice clean couple of beets, cut them up, and that's it. I don't like to be overwhelmed with beets, but I think you have to have some beets. I listen. I was traumatized by beets. Okay, I didn't like them as a kid, and my mom. Oh. We, we, I lost every single beet battle to my mom. Okay, I'm not going to eat them. Okay, you're just going to sit there until you're done. And there were times I sat at that kitchen table or dining room table for three hours. I'd still lose. That's how stubborn I was. I'd still lose. I'd still have to eat the beet, and then you'd have to go. And because you were being a moron like I was and not eating it sooner, I'd have to one be the one to clean the dishes. You ever try to clean? beets that have sat in a corningware dish for three hours i mean you got to scrub the heck out of it so i'm frankly i think beets are traumatizing and i wouldn't make my kids go through that you know what if you were a smarter young man you would have thrown the beets on the floor and let the dog eat them Ooh, yeah mom was a little smart with that she probably would have made me wait until the dog got done with it and then i'd have to do something else but then if the dog was white like a white-haired dog then they'd have red all over its lips for a long time yeah. it's hard to get it out Couldn't it's hard to get out good yeah. point yeah you, you, you can't win that battle they parents know where the dog is
Absolutely. All right, enough of beat and turkey talk. <laughs> Let's go on to the hockey. Again, with Chris Kerber and Darren Pang, I'm John Kelly. Our bro- broadcaster roundtable here on Behind the Bench. And, uh, Panger, let me start with you as far as hockey. Another devastating injury. Sunquist gone for at least a week, you would think, if not much longer, with a lower body injury. We'll know more when we get back to St. Louis. But how many more of these injuries can the Blues sustain and, you know, keep on winning? Boy, it's ta- it's taxing for these players. I mean, it, the, the league is so good. I'm impressed with the guys that are coming up and filling the void, and I'm impressed that Tr- Troy Brower has been able to play two really strong games, uh, just jumping in there and being off for so long. But, I mean, listen, the skill level of, of Vladdy Tarasenko, the, the closeout mentality of Alexander Steen in such critical situation. Sammy Blay, I thought, was playing really well. So I'm, I'm more sad for the younger players. I think older players can handle injuries a little bit better, but I always worry about younger players being injured. They're, they're alone. They're not used to being away from the rink. Um, it's an isolated situation. I, I was injured as a 24-year-old, and, and you're not part of the team, whether you think you are or not. You're not allowed to be there at the same time. So I'm always worried about those kind of guys. Um, but for Sunquist, again, here's a guy that just climbed up the ladder um, you know he can play that fourth line or energy line that he did so well last year in the playoffs but then you want him up there on, on a, maybe a top six maybe a top nine he's a great penalty killer I think you could use him on the power play if the power play struggling I, that doesn't happen very often but I think you could do that so so I guess I got to get back to your original question how long nothing this team does surprises me it could be a month before they run out of gas. It could be the next five games and and, and the well goes dry. So that's gonna be difficult to tell. The way that they play the game gives me confidence that they can still endure these injuries at this particular point. Yeah, they certainly have a a great resiliency. Chris, if I would have told you before the season that the defending Stanley Cup champions would have now four key injuries and have five regulation losses heading into tonight's game at Thanksgiving, you would have said to me, no way. I, I just and I, I talked to Craig Berube this morning and about the parity in the league, and it, I think it's one of the biggest changes in the National Hockey League, say in the last two decades, is every single night you go up a team that is dead last in your conference and they can beat you uh, every single night. And you talk about the mental grind. Even Colton Pareko was talking about yeah, every single game here in October feels in November feels like a playoff game. Like every everything is at stake every single night, and it's a hard thing for them to get past. It's not just the injuries. One, it's who it is. So that's now two massive penalty killers out of the lineup with Steen and and Sunquist. It's a type of injuries that are going to keep these guys out minimum a month. I mean, if, if it is that for, for Sunquist, you're talking about a situation where that's four guys out at least a month to, to six weeks. I think you have to give a lot of credit to Doug Armstrong for when he looks at the depth of the organization. He's been able to find guys that really don't get a job with another team that see opportunity with the St. Louis Blues and he's putting guys in the American Hockey League with NHL experience that can call up. If Derek Pouliot were to get in the game, he's got 200 games of NHL experience. Nathan Walker only has 12, but he's been called up twice, and he had a terrific camp you know, in his NHL career. So I, he, he makes sure that there is a gap between NHL-caliber-ready players to fill in for depth, while you're still hoping that a guy like a Costin or a Kairou can start to get to the point to become NHL-ready. 
All right, Darren Pang, let me talk uh, to you about goaltenders here for a moment. Jordan Bennington, marvelous again the other night in Tampa, Florida. He's now 2-0 in his career in Tampa and 4-0 against the Lightning overall. And Jake Allen plays tonight. He has been sensational on the road. It looks like they have a really good balance going right now in net. I, I agree with you that they do, and, and I give a lot of credit to Jake Allen. I mean, he's had to park his ego right at the door starting last year, and uh, he watched a, you know, a, a young and phenomenal situation with Jordan Bennington. You have to have two guys in the NHL that can play. That, that's just it. Your backup goaltender has to get you, in my opinion, you know, somewhere around 25 to 29 points. So you're, you're talking somewhere around 13, for me, 13 to 15 wins is a lot from your backup guy. And, you know, Jake Allen's on pace for that. So I like the way the coaching staff is doing it. I think Dave Alexander's got a real good feel for it. Um, Craig Berube is sticking to a system that they have, which that's the big key, too. You see a goaltender get on a roll. Like, okay, so Jordan Binnington plays so well on the last game. A lot of guys would say, okay, we're going to go right back to Jordan Binnington in this game. But in order to, to make sure that your schedule is solid and you've got fresh legs for a back-to-back, Jordan Binnington's going to be in a, you know, in a tough spot early on in the game tomorrow night against the Pittsburgh Penguins. So now you've got Jake Allen here who's been great on the road and especially in the first periods where the Blues have really needed it. So um, I, I, I'm, I'm impressed with the relationship. I'm impressed with the, uh, the competition. And, uh, and obviously, you know, we saw what happened last year, so you can't mess with a good thing. I mean, it's been, it's been something else watching Jordan Binnington evolve and Jordan Binnington staring the best goalies in the league right down and the chip on his shoulders is still there which is great i didn't i didn't want him to get soft this year i wanted that chip on the shoulder still and he still has it there's there's two other factors i think that play into this one and you guys have heard you you heard this on the plane uh, what a couple of weeks ago guys are kind of singing songs on the back of the plane and they're 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 singing to jake like they they were calling you know jakey songs these the, his teammates love this guy they love his attitude they love his approach they love having him around so i think that's that, that's a big factor there and I don't think we can also forget the role that Jake Allen played down the stretch. Not the story that we've told about the helping scouting in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. He had to play some really big games in that second half of the season last year to get the Blues to where they were in the standings and in that and in position to do what they did. So there's there's a lot of confidence in what Jake is bringing to the table right now. And he's played uh, his last three games. Uh, I think he's played extremely well on the road. Yeah, he has been outstanding. And, you know, Darren, as far as Bennington, I was lucky enough to cover a goalie in Colorado by the name of Patrick Waugh. I've heard of him. And he, I know you've heard of him. Second all-time in wins behind Marty. But he has the same kind of um, confidence in certain aspects in terms of dealing with the press, in terms of smack-talking other players, in terms of smacking other players during the game. I mean, do you see any... I mean, I hate to compare him against the Hall of Famer, but do you see any of those traits from your perspective? And there, there's one more thing that he does that's a, a little bit of a, a habit for him as well. He never steps on the line. Right. And Patrick Waugh never stepped on a line. He always stepped over top, over the blue line, over the uh, crease line, and that's... Jordan Biddington does as well but as far as personality yeah swagger absolutely um he shows it you know and, and 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 when he wants to spark up a game he's not afraid to go bump somebody and and uh wasn't it last year against dallas that after the period ended or a timeout that he went by and actually gave ben bishop a little bit of a, a shove like some of the things that you think about you go well that's that's something else like he he's competitive and and yeah there there's to com you know, compare him to Patrick Waugh you know, a difficult one because of the, you know, the length that, that Patty played. But in Patty's first year in 86, he won a Stanley Cup. 
And really, this this was his first run. He's, he's won one. Jordan Binnington could win three. And in a short amount of time, we can start throwing him into, you know, in comparison to some of the, the greats that have played the game. <laughs> That's a, it's a remarkable to think about. Yeah, it, it certainly is. Chris, you, you obviously started in 2000 with the Blues. Um, as a broadcaster, I know the Blues have had great teams. Um, in 01, they lost to Waugh in the Avalanche in the third round. But it, it must be fun for you to see a goalie like this every night. Well, he's got a calm that, that we haven't seen a Blues goaltender have since Grant Fuhr left this, you know, left. Uh, Roman Turek won a lot of games for the Blues to help them win a President's Trophy, but there was still inconsistencies. And, and one of the trends that the Blues goaltenders seem to have had consistently in the last 19 years is the propensity to give up that one just soft goal a game. And on top of that, it just seems to be at the wrong time. And that's where Jordan is different to me. They're, and you could probably count on two hands now in his career up with the St. Louis Blues, the soft goals that we would consider. Now, he might consider more, but but the soft goals that you that we might consider, it really is phenomenal how he's kept his team in every single game to win it. Even in a game, you give up three goals in a game, but it's, it's in a game where his team is right there in it. And, you know, frankly, guys, go back and you look at his overall record right now, and his, his complete NHL record right now is a little mind-blowing. Uh, how how great it is the disparity between the wins and losses, uh, goals against average of right around two, a save percentage in that 930 range. It's it's really impressive. You know, uh, one other thing that that really helped model his his the swagger part of it is not losing two in a row. And I can't tell you guys how difficult that is. It, it's difficult when you give up a bad goal to not give up a second bad goal. It's difficult when you lose a game to not lose another game. But he came on board and just showed that mental strength to say, I've got this covered. So there's never been a time that these players have been on their heels with him. So they play differently with him. They play on their toes. They play going forward. They know he's going to cover them on, on his side. And they know that if he gives up a bad goal, it's not going to bother him. I mean, that's just, that's part of the, the great leaders that are individuals in a team sport, which a goaltender is which a quarterback sometimes is, which a pitcher, or catcher, whatever, however you want to go about it. That's what makes them special. And, and he absolutely has all that because of the way he started and, and the reputation of a, a guy that won't lose two games in a row, won't give up two bad goals in a row. That's incredible to have that. Yeah, no question. All right, guys, hey, we're, we're, out of, we're out of time, though. Make it quick. All right, well, last play game in Tampa. The puck came off the end boards. He covered it up right away. Earlier in the week, he was doing a drill in the neutral zone where he left the drill just to his left. He'd slide over and cover it up. He practices little nuances of the game, too, that I don't think I've seen a goaltender with the Blues in a long time do. Yeah, no question. All right, hey, I enjoyed talking beats, turkey, and hockey with you guys. <laughs> Always, John. Good show, bud. Okay. Yeah, thanks a lot, John Kelly. appreciate that. All right, that's uh, Darren Pang, Chris Kerber. I'm John Kelly. Thanks to our guest tonight, of course, the head coach, Craig Ruby, former Blue Terry Crisp, and legendary coach, Scotty Bowman. Coming up shortly, it's the Blues and the Dallas Stars here on 101 ESPN.